I'm a motherfucking beast girl In this jungle out here Beware When you see me in these motherfucking streets girl Like I don't even care Be clear I'ma tell you exactly what you wanna hear sometimes I'ma mean that shit sometimes I won't mean that shit I'm trying to find a way to beat that shit Tell you exactly what you wanna hear and I'm I'ma have fun with it Give me your heart and I'm run with it Give it back in pieces when I'm done with it Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Relationship DNA. I am your co-host, A Smalls. I don't have D. Renee with me today, but guess what? I got a special guest in the house, Dawn Mansky. She is a great woman. She is founder and CEO of the company. It is found, uh, made for freedom, and it empowers women around the world to give them employment, to keep them uh, to keep them away and fighting against human trafficking. Am I correct? That's exactly yes. what it is. Yep. Yes. So I'm glad to have you on the show and I'm glad for all of the great things that you're doing. So the topic that I have for you today, it is called, let me look at the title again, situations that make people vulnerable to exploitation. Mm-hmm. I thought with your organization that this would be a great topic so we can learn more about what you do, you can give us background to it, and also explore different uh, questions that flow towards the topic. So is that okay with you? I think that sounds great. Okay. So before I go into the topic, I'm going to throw it to you and you can tell the listeners on, on the podcast or the viewers on public access exactly who you are, what you do, give them that full background so that they're fully engaged with who you are. <laughs> okay. So my name is Don Mansky, like he said, and um, I I am from St. Louis originally. One thing that I think is probably a little unique is the fact that I lived in China for 10 years. Uh, after I graduated from college, I moved to China as a single female and lived there, um, lived in three different cities. But that was, it was an interesting, well, it was an incredible experience because of just this in, this very different culture, very different view of the world. But that's also where I kind of learned a lot about vulnerabilities. I got to see a lot of things just for myself. Um, Some of the vulnerabilities that I talk about are devaluation of the girl child. And when a culture is, they, they prefer boys and they definitely put a lot of favor and a lot of emphasis on the males then you have devaluation of the girl child. And when you have extreme poverty and extreme poverty happens all over the world, but there were, there were situations that were far more extreme than I had ever seen. So interesting. That's, that was kind of where I started learning about vulnerabilities and really got to understand the difficulties that that can land people in when when they are experiencing just those two, those two primarily, but there are so many different areas that make people vulnerable. But anyway, that was kind of what led to me understanding better exploitation. Um, These are vulnerabilities that make people vulnerable to exploitation. And then I ended up starting this company Made for Freedom and we 
We partner with centers around the world that are providing dignified employment for those who have come out of human trafficking, but also as a preventative measure for those who are living in a marginalized situation where they are experiencing a lot of vulnerabilities. So <laughs> that, I don't know, I could tell you so much more, but I think that kind of sums it up. Oh, okay. So the question that I wanna know is, first question, what made you get into this field? Was it just being in China for that long or was it just something that you were seeing just in that region that you were staying that made you get into this field? You know, it, it wasn't any of that. <laughs> It was, it's kind of a crazy story. I just, I have to tell you, it's a little bit funny. But after living in China, I, I got a good understanding of vulnerabilities. Like I saw with my own eyes, I knew kids that had been brought from small cities, small towns because of extreme poverty. I saw baby, I saw little girls in orphanages because of devaluation of the girl child. So I, I encountered and I had relationships with people who were living with these vulnerabilities. And then fast forward several years, and I saw a video that kind of just broke my heart. Um, it was an under, I was in grad school, I was back in the United States, and I was at grad school and there was a video put out by IJM International Justice Mission. And it was a undercover reporter that went into Cambodia, just kind of went into kind of a community in Cambodia, asking for the youngest girls he could find. And it ripped me up. I mean, it broke my heart, it turned my stomach. And I just thought, okay, this, this thing called trafficking, I had seen it with children that were very poor in China and people would, procurers or perpetrators, we called them bosses, would go to these small towns and they would get to know the community and they would identify the families that were struggling the most, the families who were most vulnerable. And they would, the boss would say something along the lines of, um, you know, if your son or daughter comes to me, comes with me to the big city, they're great jobs, they'll make a lot of money. And when you're in extreme poverty, that is huge. That is a promise of changing your life, right? It, it was a lie. They would take them to the big city and they would use them as slave labor. But this thing, is, and, I, and I kind of knew what that was and it wasn't called trafficking when I started to understand, you know, exactly how the whole thing worked. But then a few years later, when I saw this video from Cambodia, and this was very specifically looking for sexual acts, and when they ushered this guy down a back alley and they brought in several girls that looked like they ranged from maybe the ages of seven to 13, I, I was like, it, it was kind of like my eyes were open, like, this is not just those kids that I knew on the street corner in Beijing. This is happening around the world. And there are children that are being exploited. There are children being used for slave labor, for sex. There, there are women and men being used against their will. They're being lied to. They're being cheated. And, and they are being forced into this life. And so anyway, that was when I, I really started to understand 
sex trafficking and human trafficking as we understand it today, modern day slavery. Um, so that, but that still doesn't lead to a company, right? You know, it's like, um, so I'll fast forward again a little bit and ended up at a dinner with this incredibly nice, sweet and handsome young man that I had met. He says we met 10 years prior and eight years prior. I don't remember it at all. I'm just saying, but I show up at this dinner. He says, Hey, Don, you must be back, you know, for a visit, something. And I, he's a nice guy. Let's just say I married him. Okay. So the, the wedding comes and he bought a pair of sandals for me. We had, we went to visit some friends and they took us to this great little shop. And I saw these sandals that I loved. And I thought the story on these sandals was the story of young ladies in a very difficult situation because in their culture and in their country, their area, I don't know their whole country, but where they grew up after middle school, all the children were let out of school for two years so that they could get a job make money, and then they would be able to continue their education. So high school, basically. Well, most of the jobs went to the boys. So the girls didn't get a job, which meant they weren't going to have the money for their education, which meant their opportunity for careers was cut dramatically. So the story, and it was a business, and make the women, the young ladies making these sandals were provided with training and education and the money that they needed to continue on with their education and careers. And it was this business really changing lives. And I look at that moment, reading the story about these sandals and go, that's when I, that's when I really started to understand social enterprise. So I've got this issue over here of human trafficking that just is weighing on me. And then I've got this concept of social enterprise. Okay. That still doesn't make a business. Another wedding gift. So my husband got me the sandals as a wedding gift, but another wedding gift that I got was from a friend of mine who was teaching English in Thailand. And when I found out that she was able to come to the wedding, I asked her if she would bring me some of these pants that I had gotten while I was visiting Thailand on vacation from China. I love them. They were super comfortable. They're called fisherman pants. And I could not find them anywhere in the United States. So I was like, could you please bring me some of these pants? I love these pants and I can't find them. So that was another wedding gift. So you take this atrocity, you take this concept of business and global impact as a social enterprise and these crazy pants, and it still doesn't really make a business. What happened next was we went on our honeymoon. So what do you think I was wearing when we left for our honeymoon? Oh. oh, you better believe it. Of course, I'm wearing my new, I'm so excited. I'm wearing the sandals and the pants. So I get on the, we're going through the airport and a TSA agent comments on my pants. And she goes, I really like your pants. Where did you get them? Now, when was the last time a TSA agent commented on your pants? Never. Right. Well, okay. You're a guy. It's kind of a different thing too, but you know, then I get on the, the plane 
And the flight attendant says, oh, those are really cool. Where can I get some pants like that? And this was just the beginning of people coming out of the woodwork to comment on these pants. And so I'm wearing my new pants and now I have several pairs so I can wear a lot of them, right? I go to visit a friend in the hospital and a total stranger comes up and she says, I really like your pants. Where can I get some pants like that? And then, okay, I gotta be, this was crazy. I'm walking through the parking lot just to go into a store and a woman literally kind of runs over to me. She's chasing me through the parking lot. She's like, those pants are so cool. They look really comfortable. Where did you get them? And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, so that was kind of the impetus for, hey, I love these pants. You can't find these pants in the United States. And obviously there are other people who want these pants. And I'm thinking, oh, I could start a little business importing pants, right? No, I, I could, but that's, that's not what I want to do with my life. I, you know, I, I didn't, as a little girl, I didn't go, oh gosh, I want to start an import company. Like that's, <laughs> it's just not me. I have, I have two degrees in education and one in theology. Like this, notice the lack of business. I never had any aspirations for being a business person because I had seen examples of business that exploit people. I had seen examples of businesses that are not making a positive impact in the world. And so, but then I, I remembered this social enterprise and I was like, hey, if these pants could be the foundation of a business that helps people coming out of this horrible situation, then I would sell pants. So I went on research trips and I did everything that I could to find out more about what is it, what is it that causes people to end up in this situation? What are the things that lead to this? How, what are the pieces that need to be in place to help them get out and to return to society? And while I was on these research trips, I started meeting all these other organizations that were, were providing the safe houses, helping girls come out of red light districts, helping people understand the value of women and, and turn away from some of those things, but also providing a safe space with life skills, job training, and then providing a job where these women were making these beautiful things. So they're, you know, it's anyway, so that's where Made for Freedom came from. These crazy pants and understanding that dignified employment removes some of those vulnerabilities, whether it's someone who's vulnerable and marginalized, providing dignified employment, providing a good wage, providing all of the things that come with a good job that removes a bunch of the vulnerabilities that lead to exploitation. But for those who have been exploited, providing a good job, providing the life skills, the training, the counseling that are needed helps them not be vulnerable again and helps them move forward in life and they're financially independent and they are, they are more prepared to handle life.
Yeah, that was an amazing story that one, something that you really wanted to do tied in with something that you really liked and found a way to make something out of both. Yeah. To, to make some type of career out of it. So I applaud you on that. I was curious to know, um, I want to reiterate the topic, situations that lead, that make people vulnerable to exploitation. When you just hear that title, what comes to mind um, overall with your experience in China and that title? What comes to mind first when you hear it? I, the relationship part of it, the relationship part of it just kind of screams in my mind, the Romeo procurers, the Romeo perpetrators. Um, and so I, I'm going to do a really quick thing. Just, it helps me frame what I'm talking about, but when I'm talking about exploitation, I, I typically talk about five main points. The, I call it the five key components of exploitation, but the first one is vulnerabilities. And so that's what we're talking about, but that's a situation, you know, and there's so many things that can lead to a situation where a person is vulnerable. But then the next one is procurers and perpetrators. And this is, these are people. These are people who are experts at identifying those vulnerabilities. And then you have exploitation and then you have rescue and restore and then you have return and reintegrate. So these are, these are all different parts of this progression where people end up in exploitation and come out of it. But that relationship thing. So when I say Romeo, um, one of the vulnerabilities that we see most often in this country is lack of support from friends and family. You know, the United States isn't so much the extreme poverty. There is poverty, don't get me wrong, but extreme poverty like you see in India, like you see in Bangladesh, it, it, it's very different. But, and we, devaluation of the girl child. I mean, do women still have a lot, like a lot that we could do? Yes, but we don't experience it in this country like you do in a culture that says, oh, I'm so sorry to hear you're having a daughter. You know, we don't, we don't get this. It, it's a, it's a, it takes it to a whole new level in other cultures. But in our country, oftentimes the uh, lack of support from friends and family is what will really hurt women. And um, one, of the, one of the places that we find this most often is in the foster system. So the foster system is full of kids that don't have that support from friends and family, but that also happens with families that are just not supporting their kids. A friend of mine, um, she, she wasn't an orphan. She wasn't in the foster system, but she was in a family situation that they didn't support her. They didn't care for her. They didn't they weren't really concerned where she went or what she did. And she had such a low self-esteem and she had so much insecurity that when she went to the mall with her friends, the perpetrators and the procurers, they are experts at seeing that. I mean, let's be honest, every teenager is insecure, right? Every teenage boy, every teenage girl is insecure 
to some extent. But when you've got no family that's caring about you, your friends are kind of in a different level than you or different, you know, they just, they have the support and and encouragement of their families. So anyway, she was at the mall with her friends and some guy started flirting with her and like, oh, your parents just don't understand you. Oh, I'm going to take care of you. Oh, I'm going to do this. So this is the Romeo, you know, and, and it's using a false relationship with someone who's vulnerable. So I, when I, when I think relationships and vulnerability, that's, that's what kind of comes to my mind because people use that relationship to, to take advantage and force fraud and coercion are the three things that you look at for trafficking and taking advantage of people. Um, I'm going to try and, oh, that's going to be way too bright, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, hang on. Yeah. So, um, sorry, my son is just like going crazy here. So I feel like I'm getting really dark. If you're good. Okay. Um, so it's, it's that so often the procurers and the perpetrators, that's what they're doing is they're using relationship to take advantage or to, to do those three things that I mentioned, force, fraud, or coercion. So another, so Romeo is the one, but then also think about, again, I'm going back to teenagers, you know, we're all, we're all a little rebellious. We're all a little, we know everything and we get tired of our parents telling us what to do. So runaways, it happens. Kids get frustrated. They're like, I don't have to deal with you. And they run away. Well, what happens? Let's say they get on a train. Let's say they get on a bus and they go to a new city. Well, do they know their surroundings? Probably not. So that's a vulnerability. Like just that, that adds to your insecurity, right? You know, when you know where you are, you know what you're doing, you've got something to do that your insecurity, your low, your self-esteem is higher. But when you go someplace and you're like, I don't know where I am. I'm not sure where I'm going. Those perpetrators, those procurers hang out at bus stations. They hang out at train stations looking for people who are vulnerable. So you see a teenager getting off of a bus, looking around and confused and looking like they're a little bit lost. You have, and this is men and women will come along and they'll be like, oh, you look like you need some help. I can help you find a place. Do you need, you know, and they come alongside and they use relationship. And, but it's, it's force, it's fraud or it's coercion and it's a lie. So they promise, what they do is they promise to meet a need that is being felt. Whether that need is a true need or whether it's a felt need. You know, it might be it might be a young lady that has an incredibly supportive family, has an incredibly encouraging support system, but she feels like no one understands her. Right? So it's a felt need. Like really she has great support, but she doesn't feel like it. 
we all, we all go through these confusing times, especially as teenagers. And for someone to come along and say, oh, like I said before, oh, your parents don't understand you. That as soon as they can identify that weak spot, what is the vulnerability? Is it, oh, you, your family's really struggling with money. I can provide an answer to that. Or, oh, people don't understand you. Your parents don't understand you. I can fill that need. Oh, you need a job. Oh, I can help you get a good job and fill that need. So it's, it's, it's so contorted because relationships should be such a good thing, right? We are all made to be in relationship. We're all made to be with people. And they, they take this, they take relationship and they, they warp it and they manipulate it to take advantage of people. It's interesting because everything you're saying points to almost preying on the innocent and also being experts, experts at looking at something that lack in a person and being able to read it, almost like playing a game of poker. You can read somebody's hand and know what they have, so that way you know how to play against it. Uh, that those are some of the key things that I think stood out in everything that you were saying. That's that's interesting. I want to ask a question. Do you feel that the governments do enough to prevent human trafficking? Because I know you're saying it in China, but sometimes I hear about it a lot here in America. Like there's certain like underground human trafficking bodies going missing, organs going missing. Like that's still big in the South and stuff like that. Do you think the government is doing enough? I think at the end of the day, the government can only do so much. You know, like the government has a lot of things that they're trying to tackle. And I think it's important for all of us to be a little more aware. You know, one of the things that I promote all the time is just learning more, having a better understanding, because this is such an underground type thing. I mean, I think, I think the government, to answer your question, I think the government has done some really great things, you know, to try and stop this. There was a, there was a website that was being used to sell girls that had been trafficked and that website has been shut down. It took a long time, but it, they finally shut it down. But at the end of the day, if you are in a shopping center and you see a young lady like my friend, but it's down the road a little bit and she's actually being trafficked, she's actually being exploited. Are you aware? Do you know the red flags? Do you know the risk factors to look for? So for example, I think it was a few years ago, but a, I think it was a flight attendant on Delta. She saw a situation and it just looked strange. I mean, here's a woman, she's just doing her job, right? She's a flight attendant. She's supposed to be taking care of the customers, whatever, but she sees these two passengers and it's like an older man and a younger girl. And it just, every time she asked a question, the guy was answering, not the girl. And so anyway, when she saw the young lady going back to go to the bathroom, 
she put a note in the bathroom and said, do you need help? And the girl responded on the piece of paper and said, yes, and then went back to her seat. And when they landed, the flight attendant had called ahead. They had the authorities waiting for this guy who was trafficking this young lady. You know, it's little, it's subtle things like that. The government, the government can only do so much. You know, they can set a new law, but if nobody's paying attention, if we're not engaging with people. So recently there was a, it was a, a, an Uber driver or a Lyft driver. I don't remember, but he saw a situation of what was going on in the back of his car. And he was like, hang on a second, something's off here. And as soon as, and I think maybe while he was driving or right afterwards, he contacted the authorities and he said, I think there's a situation where this young lady's being trafficked. And it was actually that, and they caught the guy, mm. you know, but if the flight attendant wasn't, you know, she's like, oh, I just need to get the drinks out. And that's, I did my job. And the Uber driver was like, I just got to drive them to their place. I did my job. If they weren't paying attention, if they weren't taking that extra step to intervene where they saw what looked questionable, these people wouldn't have been caught. Mm -hmm. I understand, totally understand. Sometimes I feel like because it's not affecting people personally or mm -hmm. they're not familiar, it might go over their heads, but definitely letting that inkling that something doesn't feel right here, that energy. I, I'm big on human energy. When you get around people and things just don't feel right, something about this person is off, something about their, their delivery, their tone just doesn't match. And I'm glad that they were able to step in because we all need to pay more attention to our surroundings as well. Um, you mentioned earlier about uh, these kids having sometimes the loving families, but might lack that connection with the parents or might lack self-love or self-assurance or self-awareness. What are some of the things that we can do as like parents? Because I'm a father of three. I have a son and two daughters. What do we can do? What can we do to give those those assurance that they're loved, that they're smart, that they're beautiful, that they're self-confident? What are some of the things that, that, that listeners can do? You tell them stuff like that, exactly what you just listed off, you know? Um, and, and one thing that I love, I love this concept. My, I didn't grow up with my father and I, I wish I would have had this, but for a dad to regularly, not every week, but, but make it kind of a routine that you take your daughters on a date. So they see how a man should treat them. They see what a gentleman is. They see an example and, and the way you treat your wife, you know, when they see the way a man should treat a woman, they under, they get a better understanding of what they should expect, you know, and when, when that isn't there. And it's not, it's not a foolproof plan, you know, but helping your, I mean, one thing that's huge right now is just as parents really being aware of what kids are doing online, 
online back in the day when you thought of women selling themselves for sex, it was, you know, it was kind of associated with a certain part of town or this corner, you know, the street corner, there was this street and this is where the prostitutes would hang out, which many times those are young ladies who are being trafficked. Like there's someone else collecting the money at the end of the day. A lot of times, not always, but that's not that that's still happening to an extent, but the, the digital world technology has made it so that this is happening online. You know, back previously, you had to go to a certain part of town. You had to go to a certain street corner to find that kind of activity. And now it's on your cell phone, you know? So one, the purchasing has been made, it can just be right in your pocket but also the selling. So these, these people, the procurers, the perpetrators that are pulling these girls are, they're putting listings out on a website that have pictures of a girl that, you know, it might look like, and they know the language to use so that they don't get flagged. They know what, the, what words they can use and what they cannot use. Um, but that's how, that's how, many moms with missing daughters have found their daughters as they're going and looking online and looking at these ads mm -hmm. and finding their daughter. And, and it's not a girl that is just out there posting ridiculous pictures. And sometimes that happens, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a trafficker forcing these pictures and putting them out online and reaping the money. Like, reaping the benefit of selling this young lady. You said two things that I think stood out to me. Um, the one thing was a while back, there was an article or something on the news that I remember reading about, I think it was Fairway, that had a bunch of items, like something like a pillow that would have a missing child's name as the item, but it would cost like $30,000. I forgot what website that was, but I remember that they were saying like every name up here of these expensive items are the kids that we're looking for that's missing. Oh, wow. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe that nobody questioned why would a pillow or why would a case be $30,000? What's so special about it? But they were saying that that was a possibility that people were using the website to traffic the, the lost children or the missing children. So I thought that was interesting. Wow. No, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was Fairway. I think 100% was Fairway, but I remember the article and reading it saying like who would pay 30,000 for a pillow or for a chest. And I was like, wow, like that was very coded. Mm -hmm. I would know to look up the name to see if it was a missing child and stuff like right. that. The other thing that uh, you mentioned was technology. Um, I remember being in my a teen and <laughs> AOL, um, uh, it was like, I think it was called AOL Love. Like we had AOL Love where you go on and you try to meet people here and there. Then there was that uh, hotline where you call the hotline and everybody will be on and you can kind of like hit an extension and talk to people privately. And I went to so many areas in New York City by myself mm. to meet other people, never thinking anything bad would happen to me. And I share these stories with my children because I'm like, you know, I could have been shot, stabbed, 
never been seen again. I never told my parents I went and nothing like that. I'm telling y'all so that you don't make the same mistakes because although I was lucky to actually survive, you might not be lucky. So don't go nowhere without um, letting us know. You'll never be in, I always tell them, you'll never be in trouble if I find out first. Mm. If I find out from other people, I'm gonna be very upset because I feel like I have that open door policy. And right. I feel like I'm that loving parent that I will never punish you for anything that should be a lesson. Mm. I'll punish you if you keep doing the same thing over and over again. But if it's a lesson, I feel like you need it because it relates to a moment in time when I was a kid and saying, this could have went bad for me. So let me give them that life lesson. So I, I think about that social media uh, platforms that TikTok, I don't really understand, but that's the new generational crave. But some of the things I see come across my youngest daughter's time, I'm just like, you know, you're not supposed to be watching this. How do you even get this? And it's like, the algorithm mm -hmm. it without her knowing, but she's going to watch it anyway because their eyes are glued to the tube. So they're learning about things that you don't even think they should know. So I mm -hmm. thought that was, that was interesting, those two points. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, since we're talking about trafficking, we're talking about adults preying on kids. A few months back, I read an article about a group of people who have a fixation for younger kids. And they were saying that if LGBT community can identify as what they want, why can't we identify as liking young kids? Why is it bad that we like young kids? And they were really pushing to try to pass this like notion that it is okay that they, that they should be with kids and kids should have the freedom to do what they want at any age. What do you have to say about that situation or that group of people that's trying to push the narrative that you're trying to fight against? Well, what we know about kids and what we have implemented in the United States, we have a lot of laws around what can be done and what cannot be done before the age of 18 or 21, because we understand the development of the brain. We understand that that critical thinking, that that logic, that prefrontal cortex is not developed. And that's why we provide so much protection for those under the age of 18. And we know what we know is that in reality, the prefrontal cortex is not necessarily developed until closer to 25 or 26. I would say for some, it might be closer to 40, but you know, <laughs> Uh, but, and especially if a kid has been through trauma, I mean, a kid that has experienced trauma is emotionally maybe five to 10 years younger than what they, what, than their chronological age. But anyway, those boundaries that we have set up are because their reasoning is not there. Their critical thinking is not there. Children you can say children are agreeing to this, but children can agree to all sorts of things without having that broader understanding of what's good for them and what is healthy and what, and, and if they're being manipulated. I mean, children can be manipulated so easily. You wanna talk about force, fraud, or coercion, children can be taken advantage of and take and exploited so easily because their brain is not fully developed. They don't have that experience. So 
there should never be anything that allows something that that children can be taken advantage of while they're still children. And I mean, people get taken advantage of all the time. People get manipulated, used, but when children, that is their brain has not developed enough to even really be able to look at that well. And one thing, one thing that kind of relates to that with the human trafficking. So when I started Made for Freedom, human trafficking was the, the primary forms of trafficking that we saw were labor trafficking, there's sex trafficking, smaller percentage of that, there's organ trafficking. You referred to that, like people being taken and their organs are just, you know, taken from them. Um, but, and that was, so what the numbers, no one knows exactly what the numbers are, right? Like this is such an underground crime. It's the fastest growing illegal industry in the world, but it's so hidden. It's so under the radar that no one really knows exactly how many, but the estimates, the, the reliable estimates that we were given were about anywhere between 27 and 32 million people are currently in modern day slavery. They are human trafficking victims. Then maybe three or four years ago, they looked at the situation and what's going on in our world and, and the ILC um, basically said, no, 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 there's another group that we have missed, that we have forgotten. And they need to be included in this umbrella of human trafficking. And that is child brides. And so that officially is now part of this larger umbrella that we would call human trafficking or trafficking in persons. But when somebody is purchasing a young lady as their bride, or, you know, they're not going to say purchasing, they're going to say, oh, I'm offering this amount of money, or I'm, you know, this is a gift or whatever they want to call it that has been added to trafficking in persons. And so the number has now jumped to about 40 million because of situations around the world where people, where cultures are short on women. So they're purchase, they're just ordering brides. And often those brides are minors. Those are younger ladies so it's, it's a very similar thing that those, those brides, those young brides are now actually seen officially as victims of human trafficking. Wow. It's, it, and it's shocking because everywhere in America, you got to sign a piece of paper. So if you're getting married, shouldn't you see some type of documentation, some paper trail that would expose who was a part of it? Right. <laughs> like, that should be an easy trace, but I know every country has different jurisdictions on how they track things. So, mm -hmm. wow, that, that is interesting. Um, I want to tell you a story, a short story. Okay. So my mom, when she was younger, uh, I guess I was just born. She was like maybe, I think, 19, 20. She was getting into modeling. Um, so she continued her modeling pursuit after she had me. Um, she was able to drop the weight fast, still look uh, uh, camera ready and everything. 
she got offered when I was a, a baby to go to another country to model. Mm-hmm. And she went to my grandmother and said, you know, they offered me this, this amount of money. She said, you're not leaving. You just had a baby too. I would never let you go to another country to model for somebody. And I don't know where you're going to be. And my grandmother kept her hair. But ironically, a few months later, a news story went on that women were being trafficked by fake agencies, uh, modeling agencies and stuff like that. And I was just like, imagine if that would have been your fate, like, Mm. then I would have never seen you and like life would have been completely different. I'm just shocked that there's so many avenues for people to try to get over on the vulnerable on the weak. And the next thing that comes to mind when you talk about the kids and um, child brides, the DSM has been around for a while, the, uh, the medical book that gives you all the medical mental diagnostics and stuff like that. Do you think there should be some type of diagnostic for this situation that people should see some type of counseling or mental uh, training to not want to uh, be with younger children? Or do you Mm -hmm. think um, that there should be some type of, I guess, counseling available from younger ages to help people not fall vulnerable to it? Because I always feel that mental health is missing around the world. And I think it should be implemented since elementary. We should all be able to see school psychologists to work out what's going on so that we can have clearer thoughts and not make the same mistakes because a lot of us grow up with so many, um, I would say disappointments, frustration, not being able to talk it out, not being able to express it, not being able to make sense of it, but can't connect to a parent, can't connect to a friend. And you just bottle it in and make all of these unrational decisions based off of a feeling, a feeling of feeling lack or a feeling of I need to feel attached to something, so I'm going to do it anyway so I can feel something. And I just feel like mental health is something that we need to definitely promote going forward from the ages of elementary all the way up. So what are your thoughts on everything? I just, I'm sorry, I said a lot. <laughs> No, that's fine. That's fine. No, I think it's, that's a really good point, you know, and just looking, I think there's such a, there's such a lack of understanding of healthy relationships, you know, and um, for, for people to really be educated better on healthy relationships, you know, and that's, that's parents with kids, that's spouses with each other, um, that's kids understanding healthy relationships with their peers, but also understanding healthy relationships with a potential romantic partner. Um, you know, and I think if, like you're saying, if there's a better understanding of that from a young age, then maybe we don't have people that are looking to be in a relationship with a child. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what drives that. And I don't know the best way to address it. But when a child is being pursued in that way, I just find it hard to believe that there's, there's any way to say this child can rationally and reasonably make this decision. I have a question uh, on uh, the encompassing 
the mental aspect and the sexual aspect of, of a child. When I was younger, I was exposed to sex at a young age and it made me very hypersexual. And I didn't understand why I was hypersexual. I didn't understand why I needed to either think or feel or do, but it all came out later on when I actually was in my mid twenties and I was curious about mental health and why I felt these ways. Why did I feel unworthy of love, unloving un, un, un of myself. And a lot of things I did was kind of self-sabotaging. I would do things that I knew would put me in a situation to feel horrible about myself and say, you know, nothing's ever gonna go right because it keeps happening. Not realizing it keeps happening because you keep putting yourself in these situations. Why do you have to put yourself in a situation? So that's why I, I personally feel the power of counseling because I couldn't break through without having somebody explain to me. And it wasn't just one therapist. It was a few therapists throughout the time that I went to the visit to try to figure out a better connection because you have to make sure that one, you're getting what you feel you should out of a one-on-one -on -one counseling. And sometimes I was looking for answers. I didn't get answers. Sometimes I was looking for a certain connection. I didn't get it. So I went to see a few people and then eventually I took all of their methods and then I closed myself in out in my apartment and did all of those self-trainings every single day until I worked out why do you feel this way and I wrote all the way down like the um the, the tree branch of okay from this one this that and after I did it a few times and I understood where all of this stuff came from I said oh it finally like for whatever reason clicked in my head and I've since then never felt that bad about myself I never once try to do anything to put myself in another self-sabotaging situation just so I can feel like I'll never be worthy again. So I, I'm just saying all that to say mental health. Mental health is the thing that I feel is very useful. And for the children that are exposed to sex at an early age, but mm -hmm. that ultimately also play into them possibly ending up in sex trafficking against their will, sort of, but still feeling like they're not worthy because of something deep rooted from back then. And they're kind of like still attached to it. They have to feel something and they don't know how to do it. I was just curious to know your thoughts on that whole synopsis. Absolutely. It's, um, I don't, I'm trying to recall the statistic and I'm not going to come up with the number, but <laughs> there is a significant number of people in sex work that were sexually abused as a child. So a woman may grow up and say, it's my choice. I'm making the decision to sell my body for sex. You know, I'm not being sold by a pimp. I'm not, I'm not being trafficked. This is my choice. But if you, if you interview and you find out the history of people in sex work, there's a very high percentage that were sexually abused as children. So that was triggered long before it should have been. Oh. And it, and it does, it alters the trajectory of their life. And if you don't, if there isn't someone to step in, if there isn't someone to kind of realign and help them understand this, what happened to you was not right. What happened to you was wrong. And here, here are some things that you can do to deal with that. You know, without that, 
Yeah. They're going to be hypersexualized. They're going to, they're not going to be, sex is not going to be an intimate thing. It's just going to be an act because they've learned to turn off that part of their emotion that should be engaging with the other person, you know, and that's another thing with just mental health and how that, you know, so much of this comes back to our brain. You know, we were talking about children and the brain development. Um, We, our brain helps us escape things when we don't want to be there. I mean, dissociative order. I, I have a friend who was sexually abused as a child and now she has dissociative order, which is known as multiple personalities because when it was happening, her brain shut down and was like, I can't handle this. I'm going to create another person. So she has, she, her brain to provide safety and provide protection for her created multiple people to deal with the trauma that she was dealing with. You know, our brains can do, our brains are so intricate and so fascinating and so far beyond what we understand but the little bit that we do understand trauma is going to carry on for a long time and if you don't deal with it it just keeps raising its ugly head and sexual abuse at a young age is going to do the same thing and even as an older person people women women and men that get sucked into labor trafficking or sex trafficking. The sex trafficking is the area I'm more familiar with because I've done more study and more research there. But there's when a woman is taken and she is captured, there's a phase that they call seasoning. And that is when they take that woman or that young lady or that young man and they beat them, they burn them, they starve them, they abuse them until, and, and they just repeatedly rape and they, they torture them until it's kind of like they beat the hope out of them. And when, when they have given up hope and when they have, when they just relent and they say, okay, this is my life. This is who I am this is what I'm going to be, that seasoning process that comes to an end. And it's not the same for everybody. There are people who are much stronger and they hold out and they fight and they fight. And it may take two years to go to, you know, for the trafficker to finish the seasoning process. It might be two weeks for someone who has already been beaten down. They might be like, okay, this is my life. You know, so when, when we talk about trauma and we talk about mental health, there's also that element of human trafficking when a person has landed in this situation and they, they've been through the seasoning process and they feel like this is what my life is. Like I'm here, this is, this is what I'm doing. Then they, they learn to justify. We justify to ourselves, our, you know, things in our lives. And we, we learn to accept, we learn to, 
um, make excuses for things, but we learn to justify our behavior. And there aren't, you know, mo very few people are in the middle of doing something saying, this is a horrible situation. No, you go, no, it's not that bad. You know, it could be worse. It could, you know, I could be doing this. I, this could be happening. And so when, when people think of human trafficking and they think of sex trafficking, you hear people often saying, oh, we need to go in and we need to, we need to pull them out and rescue them. Yes, but if you think about this person's mentality and the fact that they believe this is my life, this, these are my relationships, this is my network, I know how to survive here, I know how to do this, and you rip them out of there, that's a traumatic experience in itself. So the way to go about helping someone like that is to have that conversation, to build relationship, to, you know, when you're talking about someone who's been sexually abused as a child, you know, coming in and just like laying down the law or whatever is not necessarily the best way to do this. It's talking through it and building, building relationship and helping them understand there's, there, there's a different way to do this. Wow. Um, that was very, very touching. Um, when you talked about the seasoning, I just thought about breaking spirits, uh, conditioning, um, mental anguish, kind of like just giving up and just taking the soul out of that person. So then now they're just a vessel, an empty vessel. Uh, what's, what's the word? Vacuous, a vacuous vessel. And now you can just fill them up whatever you want because you've done took all the life out of them. So that, that was very deep. Um, I can't even imagine experiencing that or surviving it. So, mm -hmm. wow, that's powerful. Um, so we've, we've almost approached the hour. So I wanted to get to the closing remarks, which is the DNA decoded, where we just kind of give a synopsis of uh, final thoughts, wrap up the show, give the guests any powerful words before we close out. So the floor is yours and I'll um, add on after. Okay. Well, I would just, like we were talking about before, um, the more each one of us knows, the more effective we'll be at fighting human trafficking. Um, sex trafficking. Made for Freedom is our company. If you go to madeforfreedom.com, there's a banner at the top and there's a free download and it's the red flags, risk factors, and action items that you can take just to kind of get a better understanding. Like if you're at a shopping mall and you see somebody, like knowing what those red flags are, knowing what to look for, the, the flight attendant knew how to identify some things that were strange. The Uber driver had an understanding of red flags and he was alerted and he was able to help, you know, catch a trafficker. So I would encourage, I would encourage everyone, whether you go to madeforfreedom.com and download our thing or whether you go somewhere else like human trafficking red flags, um, but just, learn more about this so that you're more aware so that if you see a situation that is questionable or you see someone who might be a victim, might be trafficked, might be in the midst of exploitation, don't be afraid to say something. Don't be afraid to 
report something. Don't be afraid to watch a little more carefully so that you can step in and provide assistance where it is, it could potentially be very needed. That was powerful. I will add on by saying the one thing I learned about this conversation is we need to get back to humanizing each other because the only way we're going to recognize is that we see each other as loving vessels, loving individual and community. We need to get back to just having a community, having the ability to want to look after one another. Yes. As a parent, I want to have all the parents uh, recognize that these, these children out here have parents and you can do your best as a parent by making them aware of what it means to be uh, uh, cared for and give them that positivity, give it that reinforcement that they can come to you when they're feeling anything so that they're not feeling like they have to find some type of representation or some type of love outside of the home. So the number one thing I tell my kids is once you leave here, nobody cares about you. I know you want to believe the community does, like you're going to say hi and everything like that, but you have to have it in your mind that nobody's going to make sure you get home safe. So it's your job to be aware to get back to a safe. Because if I'm out there with you, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you survive. But when you're out of my, my midst, I need you to be just as gun ho to get home yourself. And mental health, mental health, please get your children that counseling that they need. I know finding a, a physician, I mean, a psychologist or a, a, a mental health expert counselor is hard, but take that time, the same time that you take to scroll through social media or watch the next uh, Hulu or Netflix. Give the same amount of time to find an advocate to help your child process what they can't process. Give yourself a, uh, some time to process what you can't process because the only way you can teach them better is if you understand what's wrong with you and the decisions you made and now you can make sure they can avoid those same potholes. A lot of time we go through life not understanding how to express the thoughts that's in our head. So take the time to push for mental health. Pray for the, for this, for the young teens out there that are still facing this human trafficking outside of the country, inside the country, around the world, we pray for all of them and hope that everybody gets home safe and everybody gets uh, rescued as soon as possible. Mm. That being said, this is another episode of the Relationship DNA. Dawn, thank you for coming. Thank you for giving us this insight and enlightenment. I hope that all the listeners and viewers learn something from this. And please visit the website. Learn, get the, get the red flags so you know what to look for. And just going forward, when you see something that doesn't feel right, question it, pay attention, and do your best. That being said, I'm Anthony Smalls, Relationship DNA. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.